This week on Viewpoints. What we need people to really think about is how can they build the skills that they need to maintain their emotional well-being for the long term. Shifting from reactive care to preventative care in the mental health space. Then. At this point, I think as prices continue to rise, we have to make more choices of things that we're going to buy and more often what are we going to live with a little longer than we might used to. The financial squeeze of inflation. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Hi, it's Rick. I'm at the Smith home. Where's Donnie? Leaves and autumn bookings pile up for Rick's gutter cleaning service. He's out? Ah, come on. He needs help before his bottom line gets clogged. Okay, well, what about Christiana? We still got six houses today. Indeed can help him hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Ray Maliazzi here. I don't know about you, but my car could use a few upgrades. I mean, the eight-inch tear in the driver's seat does have sentimental value since my butt has molded to fit it, but I'm ready to move on. My solution, eBay Motors. They've got all the right parts at the right prices. 122 million of them, from seat covers to whole new seats. When I get that new seat, I think I'll put the old one in the living room, right next to the minivan seats, or as we call it, the sectional. eBay Motors, let's ride. One in five adults struggled with a mental illness in 2020, according to the federal government. This comes out to 52 million Americans across the U.S. that dealt with depression, anxiety, or another mental disorder. In a separate category are those with a serious mental illness, a disability that greatly affected quality of life. Psychotic illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or severe depression would be serious mental illnesses, and there are about 14.2 million people, roughly one in 20, who struggle with a serious mental illness or who have recovered from it, but the number that we think about in terms of prevalence. That's Dr. Thomas Insel, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist. For more than a decade, Insel led the National Institute of Mental Health, overseeing where billions of dollars were directed for mental health research. He's also the author of Healing, Our Path from Mental Illness to Mental Health. Over the last two years, mental health care has been front and center as billions across the globe felt more isolated and uncertain in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. In adolescents in particular, experts have recorded rising rates of depression and anxiety resulting from a lack of routine, decreased social interactions, and other life disruptions. And when it comes to care, all too often everyone across all ages don't get treatment until they've reached a breaking point. Insel says that this is one difficult aspect of mental health. How do providers help people who may not want to be there? If you have an anxiety disorder, by definition, you're avoidant. You don't go out and you don't seek help. If you're depressed, you're likely feeling hopeless and helpless very difficult to overcome that to be able to seek care. And if you have a psychotic illness, you probably don't think you're ill. 
And so why would you seek care? So it's one of the insidious aspects of mental illness that these illnesses themselves will preclude treatment. And the design of the mental health care system doesn't help. It's largely set up for reactive care rather than preventative. We pay for hospitalization. We pay for emergency room visits. We pay for somebody who's in their most extreme moments. That's the most expensive and most intensive and probably least effective way to manage what are generally long-term issues that require a more consistent approach. What we fail to do in the United States is really focus on health. We focus on sickness. We have essentially a sick care system, not a health care system. And in mental health, what that means is that we are engaging people when they're least able to recover and find it most difficult to actually use the treatments that are available. Many people also avoid seeking help because of the costs. Dr. Vale Wright says navigating coverage can be overwhelming and treatment can be costly depending on a person's insurance or lack thereof. Wright is a psychologist and the Senior Director of Healthcare Innovation at the American Psychological Association. Across every nationally representative survey that I've seen that looks at barriers, cost is the number one barrier to care, and that includes both lack of insurance, confusion about what insurance covers and what it doesn't, confusion about in-network and out-of-network situations. Earlier this month, President Biden highlighted the current failures in mental health care during his first State of the Union address. When it comes to insurance coverage, he argued that mental health should be treated the same as if it were physical health. Coverage needs to be more robust, and Americans should be able to access these services more freely. We need to be more innovative in the way we think about mental health and more innovative in the types of interventions and the preventative work that we do. So we need to be meeting patients where they're at in the community, in churches, in barbershops, in schools, and delivering treatments and preventative types of approaches so that we're not just waiting for someone to have a diagnosis to get the treatment. We need to get to them before that, much like how we think about physical health care and the needing to get checkups ahead of time. Wright highlights that there are new models being developed where physical and mental health treatment can be found in the same setting. One could be that you have a fully embedded mental health provider within the primary care office so that they're working actually side by side so that if a primary care doc needs seeing a patient with a behavioral health need, they can just walk them down the hall essentially and give a warm handoff and have them seen right in that moment. You also have what's called co-located situations where they might not be in the same office, but they're near each other and they have a contract or a relationship where they can refer patients directly to this other office. What I see not enough of are these types of models, however, so that when a primary care doc who's already got a full caseload and is as burned out as everybody else doesn't have that reliable referral source. So that's another area that really could use improvement. Emerging artificial intelligence technology is also one area that shows promise as it can help improve accessibility and long-term continuity of care. Currently, finding a provider can be a very stressful and time-intensive process. It has to be the right fit, covered by insurance, and too often patients have to shuffle through several therapists, psychiatrists, or programs before finding the right one, or, unfortunately, giving up entirely. 
Some of the innovative treatments that we're seeing around how to match patient to provider include using algorithms based on demographics or personal preferences or the competence of the therapist matching with the needs of the patient. But that stuff is really not that commonplace yet. I think we're still looking at four basic areas where people find a therapist. It's referrals from a friend, referrals from a primary care physician, maybe looking at your insurance and who's covered under insurance, or just basic Google searches using locators like Psychology Today. I think you see greater acceleration of these types of AI programs when it comes to physical health care versus mental health care. I do think they're coming, but one of the challenges that we see is that AI programs aren't free of bias, just like individuals aren't. So you really want to make sure that the research doesn't outpace our ability to determine whether or not they're effectively doing what we say they're supposed to do. One newer technology that's already in practice is telehealth. Insel believes that this has been one silver lining of the pandemic. Online therapy companies like BetterHelp or Talkspace are just some of the platforms that have exploded in recent years. That allows people to shop for providers, to get matched to providers. It, it, in some ways, it democratizes care in a way that was kind of hard to imagine before. It still can be expensive, and it may still be imperfect in the sense that maybe it's not as well developed for people with serious mental illness, but it's still a great asset and something that I think is early days for what will be a probably very different system, largely will be online as opposed to brick and mortar. Both Wright and Insel say that the system needs to concentrate more on giving patients the tools to look past treatment. There has to be a greater focus on recovery from mental illness, a future beyond the disorder or disability. What we need people to really think about is how can they build the skills that they need to maintain their emotional well-being for the long term. So it's not just that a medication has a quick fix, but when I'm in a place where I feel like I can terminate from therapy, how can I then keep using those skills to keep myself well? And how can I teach those skills to those around me? I think that's a really important point, and particularly when it comes to parents and how can you model those skills for emotional well-being to kids so that it's not again, this sort of separate way that we think about our health, but really integrated. Health is both physical and mental. For many, the pandemic has exposed the importance of staying on top of your mental health. To find out more about this topic and our guests, Dr. Thomas Insel and Dr. Vale Wright, visit viewpointsradio.org. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, find help and resources by calling the National Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at 1-800-662-4357. The helpline is free, confidential, and open 24-7. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. up. Inflation has grown to 7.5% over the last year. What's going on when Viewpoints returns? What is dedication? My daughter started making necklaces. She makes what we call affirmation fashion. I tell her every day that your black is beautiful. And if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. And if there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And reaffirming that every day is our method of making sure her chin never drops. That's 
dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're always up for some fun with the family. So you order the essentials, a new board game, some baking supplies, and even a new projector for outdoor movie night. And with the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which could increase to up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member. Rewards which you can put toward an extra treat that everyone will enjoy, like an old-fashioned popcorn machine. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding and apply now. Copyright 2021 Bank of America Corporation. I'm Demetria Lucas for the Gold Series Hair Repair Collection. As a podcast host, author, and cultural critic, I tell stories that give black women a voice. Because if we don't tell our own story, someone else will. My hair tells my story too, so I want it to be fabulous and healthy. The Gold Series Hair Repair Collection works as hard as you do. It's designed to reduce breakage by 50% for two times stronger hair. Gold Series. We work hard while you work wonders. Research shows that people remember radio ads with a booming voice that emphasizes all the main points. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your home insurance so you only pay for what you need. That part is super important. Here's one with a booming voice. I'm emphasizing everything. Liberty Mutual customizes your home insurance. Like a page with every word highlighted. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Liberty, 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 Liberty. From buying a house to stocking the pantry, it seems like nearly every aspect of life is getting more expensive these days. Across the board, the costs of goods and services have steadily risen. Between January 2021 and January 2022, prices went up 7.5% overall, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Today, the annual inflation rate is the highest it's been since 1982. So, What's driving this explosive inflation? Dr. Christian Vom Lane is an assistant professor of economics at Brigham Young University. He points to three major factors that can help explain rising costs, the first being major disruptions in production due to the pandemic. Whether it's having workers having to quarantine or be sick and be unable to work, reducing the business's capacity to function and produce its goods and services, or disruptions to the supply chain, providing necessary materials or inputs or products that go into the final product being produced. The second one is demand in the sense that there's been a lot of government stimulus put into the economy to try and help the economy weather the COVID-19 pandemic. And that stimulus has taken the form of many approaches, including direct checks and payments to American citizens, which has boosted their income, which that added income may be generating higher prices as businesses cannot fully produce to keep up with the extra spending by Americans. And the last explanation for inflation is a big shift in consumer spending habits over the last two years, with many Americans putting much more money towards goods rather than services. Things you can use at home, consume at home. So think about food. People are buying a lot more groceries and eating out a lot less. And so this major shift in consumer patterns has really strained existing production organization to be able to supply particularly goods at the amount that consumers now demand them. And so because production is not accustomed to this high of a level of purchasing of these goods by consumers, it's having a hard time keeping up, which is generating rising prices. As a consequence, millions of people are feeling the pinch. 
Suburban Chicago resident Carrie Leonard is just one consumer who's keeping a closer eye on her bills. At this point, I think as prices continue to rise, we have to make more choices of things that we're going to buy and more often what are we going to live with a little longer than we might used to. Leonard is a wife and a mother of two young boys. She says her family has had to make some tough decisions lately. We had planned on replacing our cars. Our cars are both over 100,000 miles, but the cost of new and used cars is so significantly more expensive than a couple years ago that we're just trying to fix it up and ride out our cars as long as they'll go. Across the country, auto inventory shortages and high demand continue to drive up costs. Often, used vehicles are selling at similar prices to new cars. Between January 2021 and January 2022, used car rates jumped 45 percent, according to Cars.com. New vehicles are also getting more expensive, up 8 percent over the past year, with the average price hovering at around $38,000. While many Americans are holding out on big purchases, hoping rates will go down, there are everyday items that can't be foregone, like gas and groceries. Leonard is just one of the many who've reevaluated what's on the shopping list. I don't buy brand name foods as much as I used to. I think that store brand has improved a lot in their quality. I don't buy as many convenience foods as I used to, so we make more things from scratch. She's also buying less meat these days. Items like meat, poultry, fish, and eggs have all soared 12% in price compared to a year ago. In some cities, meat has risen by 25%. I've noticed that specifically beef is more expensive, and one way combat that is we, with our neighbor, we buy a quarter of a cow and then we just make it last for as long as possible. I think the times of making sure that there's meat in every meal are are no longer. Outside of food, the cost of services has also jumped as labor shortages across the country fuel higher prices. Leonard says that it's harder to justify hiring a babysitter these days. I think that adding on the cost of going out with the cost of babysitters, which are more expensive now than they had in the past. In the past, I used to be able to hire like a parent helper or a neighbor for maybe $10 an hour for a few hours or maybe $15 an hour if it's late. But that's not really the case anymore. It seems like (laughs) I feel kind of cheap. I don't want to not give someone what their value is, but at the same time, we're not using babysitters because it just doesn't fit in our budget. And it doesn't fit into our budget is an all-too-common narrative. Von Lane says that concerns around inflation are growing because many Americans' wages or incomes are failing to rise at a rate that mirrors climbing prices. For gas and services like heat in particular, the global conflict around Russia and Ukraine is another factor that economists are analyzing. Russia is a key producer of global energy. I think they're currently the second largest foreign exporter to the United States behind Canada, although quite a bit behind Canada and the U.S. has not insignificant domestic production currently. But Even for the U.S. aside, there are many countries, particularly in Europe, who are very heavily dependent and integrated with Russian energy markets. 
And so sanctions and restrictions on Russian energy exports are going to produce a significant reduction in the overall availability of energy and going to drive up prices elsewhere as people try and find substitutes for Russian energy as it becomes less available due to sanctions in the Ukraine incident. For Americans, Vom Lane predicts that it will be a couple of months before higher heating prices are reflected in people's monthly bills. With compounding rises in food, gas, energy, housing, and more, many are wondering, what is the government doing to help with inflation? Perhaps the biggest solution right now is that the Federal Reserve is most likely going to raise its target interest rate in March, and that's going to reduce the amount of available money in the economy that's going to undo some of the stimulus that happened during the pandemic, increasing amount of money that people had available. That contraction in money is going to pull back some of the demand for goods and services and will hopefully stem some of the inflation. I also think just as we continue to see normalization from the pandemic, some policies are expiring. Life is getting back to normal. The change in recommendations from the CDC and other agencies about the appropriate way to live life and conduct business in the in this stage of the pandemic, it's going to make it such that people feel more comfortable in a host of activities, including work, that will boost the ability of many businesses to resume their typical functioning and help us get back to living more akin to what we saw and prices more akin to what we saw prior to the pandemic. And the question that labor economists are still mulling over is, what is the long-term plan for employees who left the workforce during the pandemic? Are they planning to come back? Are they actively looking? Or are they focused on childcare or permanently in retirement? If we look at unemployment, a measure of people who are looking for jobs but unable to find them, that number is getting quite low and looking like levels we've seen prior to the pandemic. So people who are actively looking for jobs are finding it pretty easy to find jobs. It's this question about what about people who used to work but are now not even interested in looking for work? What is their behavior going to look like? I think to the extent that there are individuals in that segment of the population who are discontinuing work because of pandemic-induced disruptions, whether it was personal fear of contracting the virus, whether it was care for family members, perhaps due to increased childcare needs because of disruptions to schooling, I think we would expect to see those individuals re-enter the labor market eventually. But certainly there have been bigger narratives about people reevaluating their decisions about work and living and balance of responsibilities. And so I think we certainly expect to see a rise in employment and a rise in participation in labor markets getting us closer to where we were before. But it's quite possible that some of the impacts of the pandemic will have a permanent state on people's decisions about whether to work or not. Only time will tell. Vom Lame says continuing inflation will depend on a variety of factors from the labor landscape to the aggressiveness of government policy. However, he remains optimistic. I do think we'll start to see things turning around, but I don't think we should expect a full reversal of all the patterns we've seen in the next six months. I think it will be a fairly gradual process. To find out more about this topic and our guests, Dr. Christian Vom Lane and Carrie Leonard, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri, studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What is dedication? My daughter started making necklaces. She makes what we call affirmation fashion. I tell her every day that your black is beautiful. And if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. And if there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And reaffirming that every day is our method of making sure her chin never drops. 
That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait. I was short of breath just reading a book. I could have delayed telling my doctor, but I didn't wait. They told their doctors and found out they have atrial fibrillation, a condition which makes it about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you have one or more of these symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, this is no time to wait. Contact your doctor. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. Author Chuck Klosterman's newest book is called The 90s, and it's a thorough look at the decade. It's politics, it's history, and of course, it's culture. One thing Klosterman said he thought a lot about while writing his book was how much things have changed since the 90s. He says the stakes back then felt different. For instance, there were different expectations for everyday political engagement. In all, Klosterman said he wasn't writing the book to be nostalgic for the past, but rather that he just wanted to take a good look at it. Though Klosterman wasn't necessarily intending to ignite 90s nostalgia, we do live in an age of retro media. TV shows like Stranger Things harken back to the 80s while movies like Lady Bird take place in the 2000s. After writing his book, Klosterman said this constant cultural nostalgia and cross-referencing is in part because the internet has made every era accessible. So now... When we see something that seems retro, and now almost everything is to some degree retro, it can be retro to any period. So you're right, like Stranger Things has a real 80s feel, a real Spielberg 80s feel. That can be right along something like, say, the show Pen15, which has a real 90s feel, and it doesn't seem odd. Our relationship to the movement of time is different. Something that was on television in 2005 does not seem radically different than something that is on television now. This was not the case between, say, 1965 and 1980. As we continue to see references to past decades, it can definitely be helpful to learn more about them at the same time. If you want to learn all about the decade of the Discman and the Nintendo 64, Klosterman's book The 90s is available now. I'm Evan Rook. Okay, ladies, we all know one of the greatest feelings in the world when a friend says, Girl, those pants look amazing on you. And I say, thanks. They're Skechers Go Walk Wear pants. And why do I always get compliments on these casual, athletic, stretchy pants? They're made with comfortable GoFlex fabric that has compression and hold. They have four pockets. Plus, they're machine washable and come in extended sizes. That's the Skechers Go Walk Wear line of pants. Find yours at Skechers.com, a Skechers store, and find retailers everywhere. Dawn Power Wash Dish Spray Why let those dishes pile up? Dawn Dish Spray cleans them super fast Just spray wipe the rinse Baby's taking a nap Shh. Clean those bottles in a snap Just spray wipe the rinse Dawn Dish Spray, it's a spray for your dishes Smoothie uh-huh. mess in a blender Clean it easy, clean it fast Just spray wipe the rinse Dawn Power Wash Dish Spray How's it work again? Just spray wipe the rinse That's Viewpoints for this week. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.